Good evening, everyone. Uh, the second reading today is taken from Matthew chapter 15, verse 29, to chapter 16, verse 12. Uh, and I've got that on page 1025. Okay. Right, Matthew chapter 15, verse 29. Jesus left there and went along the Sea of Galilee. Then he went up on a mountainside and sat down. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute, and many others, and laid them at his feet, and he healed them. The people were amazed when they saw the mute speaking, the crippled made well, the lame walking, and the blind seeing. And they praised the God of Israel. Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I have compassion for these people. They have already been with me three days and have nothing to eat. I do not want to send them away hungry, or they may collapse on the way. His disciples answered, Where could we get enough bread in this remote place to feed such a crowd? How many loaves do you have? Jesus asked. Seven, they replied, and a few small fish. He told the crowd to sit down on the ground. Then he took the seven loaves and the fish, and when he had given thanks, he broke them and gave them to the disciples, and they in turn to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. Afterward, the disciples picked up seven basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was 4,000, besides women and children. After Jesus had sent the crowd away, he got into the boat and went to the vicinity of Magadan. The Pharisees and Sadducees came to Jesus and tested him by asking, them, asking him to show them a sign from heaven. He replied, When the evening comes, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. You know how to interpret the appearance of the sky, but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. Jesus then left them and went away. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. Be careful, Jesus said to them. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. They discussed this among themselves and said, it is, because, is it because we didn't bring any bread? Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked, You of little faith, why are you talking amongst yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the five thousand and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the four thousand and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread? But be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he was not telling them to guard against the yeast used in bread, but against the teaching of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Jono, for reading the passage of Scripture to us. Our friends, uh, my name's John. I'm the Assistant Minister at this church. A warm welcome to you if we have not met. I look forward to meeting you after the service. Um, a few other announcements just to add to what Rob said before. Uh, a big thank you to those of you who went to Box Hill yesterday to try to share the gospel, to be involved in our outreach ministry. big thank you to you. I hope you were encouraged. Um, 
uh, I heard many Bibles were distributed, and so praise God for that. And God works when his word is read and understood, so we pray that God will work in those lives. And yesterday, of course, the elders of this church, uh, we went away on the elders' retreat. Now, some of you might be thinking, us elders, we went away playing tennis, swimming, sitting in a jacuzzi, a whole bunch of blokes together, that's our retreat. But no, we spent the day working, praying, planning for the future of what God might do with us, for our church, through us, for this community. And you'll hear more about it in due course. We'll have a, a time where you'll hear of the vision of this church and for you to pray along with us in what our plans are. Uh, but tonight we're looking through this passage. We've been working through Matthew. We started at chapter 14 and we'll work our way through chapter 18 eventually. And tonight we've got this passage. It's just a narrative. What is it meant to tell us and teach us about God and us in this world, and so we need God to help us here. So let's turn to God in prayer, asking for his help. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word, the word about Jesus, what he taught, what he did, recorded down for us, for our sake, that we might know of you, what Jesus is like, who he is, and what we must do in response. And we pray that that might be clear tonight to us as we reflect on these words. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if you've been watching the news lately or listening to the news on the radio, you you probably have noticed that not not really a day goes past without some news about how the leadership has failed its people, how the leaders have failed their people. On the news lately, you've probably heard a lot about uh, the, the Royal Commission, a lot of coverage on that lately how there's this secrecy that that happened with all this scandal of child sexual abuse within the Roman Catholic Church. And when you hear news of this, it should make you angry, infuriate you, get your blood boiling. Did the cardinal know? Did he not know? Did he disclose? What didn't he disclose? And so when you think about this, when leaders fail us, when leadership fail its people, it should make you angry, shouldn't it? It should get you infuriated. It's meant to get us angry, especially if they're leaders of the church. They're meant to be the moral compass of society, and when they fail, it should make us angry. And it would be the same sentiment on a national level, on a federal level. We don't like it when our politicians are shrouded in some scandal, you know, when they receive bribes or when they embezzle public money or when they're incompetent, or when they're just wasteful. It makes for good news. It makes the headlines scandal amongst our politicians. It makes it good news, but we don't like it. We do not like it when our leaders fail us. They're meant to lead us. They're meant to protect us. They're meant to provide for us. They're meant to be fair. They're meant to be just. And when they fail to do that, we don't like it. We're angry, and we're meant to. It's perhaps why democracy as a form of government sort of works. Do you know why we have a democracy? It actually says more about us than the leaders. It says that we really can't trust any leader long enough, and so they really have a set term and we vote them out. If a leader fails, we vote them out. We get rid of them. Now, if you've been watching the news, there has been a lot about the US presidential race. Anyone been watching that, find that fascinating? It is fascinating. Watch some of those debates. It's like 
schoolboys out in the schoolyard teasing each other. That's what they do. And they're going to be the president, bagging each other out, finding dirt from the past and how they failed as a leader. And of course, for us as a nation, we're going to face the federal elections very soon, this year, perhaps, later this year. And so in our system, when our leaders, when they fail us, we just vote them out. That's fine. We've got that power. But now I want you all to imagine this, to think, to imagine that you're living in a different social system, a different system of government. Imagine this. Imagine you're living in the 6th century BC in Israel. Long time ago, hard to imagine, but imagine that. You're living in a society that is not a democracy, which means you do not have any powers as citizens of this nation. You cannot vote for your leaders. You cannot vote for them to leave. You have no voting power at all. The power does not lie with you. It lies with the leaders. And that's because back then you would have been living in a monarchy, a different monarchy to the constitutional monarchy that we're a part of today, a monarchy where the king has ultimate and absolute power. Imagine living in a country, a society like that. What the king says goes. You don't like it? Too bad. What the king says goes. Not like a constitutional monarchy where the powers of our monarch, of our queen, are really restricted by the constitution. And so imagine, you're living in that society, 6th century BC. And what you're finding is that king after king, ruler after ruler, they fail you all the time. They continue to fail you, the people. They get richer, you get poorer. Imagine that. They get richer, you get poorer. Rather than feed you and protect you and provide for you, they care for their own selves. They only look after their own patch. And one of these kings during that time, a foolish king, one of your kings, King Hezekiah, imagine this, he did a foolish thing. He thought he'd like to show off a bit, uh, show off to the neighbouring nations. And so he showed this foreign nation, the nation of Babylon, all the treasures of the nation, showed them the temple treasures, the national treasures. And you know what happened because of what this king did? Well, what happened was several years later, this foreign nation, Babylon, sacked your nation, came, defeated you, took all your national treasures and took off with that, exiled you as well. Your leader has failed you. Imagine living in that society, ruler after ruler, king after king, they fail you, the people. Doesn't get, that get you mad? Gets you angry, doesn't it? But more than that, you're living in this type of society and, and there are religious leaders, they're called the priests. They're the ones who were meant to be the moral compass of society. But the priesthood, they were as corrupt as ever. You're living in this world and your religious leaders, they're corrupt. They're meant to mediate between you and God. But all they're doing is getting God more and more angry at you. They're meant to be the shepherds looking after the flock, caring for you, providing for you, leading you in paths of holiness and righteousness and justice. But instead, they've led the nation to moral depravity, doing evil things. Imagine living in a society like that, where your leaders, your rulers, your religious leaders fail you again and again and again. How do you feel? What can you do? I mean, there's really nothing you can do. You're hopeless. 
You're helpless. You've got no powers at all. These leaders were placed there by God. You've got nothing and you can't do nothing. If you're poor, you'll get poorer. If you're sick, you'll get sicker. If you're depressed, you'll get more depressed. You're left in the pits by your leaders. They've failed you again and again and again. And so who can help at this point? 6th century BC Israel. Who's powerful enough to do something about it? What can be done? Well, around that time, God speaks out. God speaks out through one of his prophets, Ezekiel. He speaks out against the shepherds of the land. You people were entrusted to care for the flock, but you've done a mess of that. You've done a terrible, terrible job of that. Instead of caring and loving and protecting and providing, you rule harshly and brutally, selfishly, greedily. And so God says, you are gone, you shepherds. You are gone. And instead, I will be your shepherd. I, God, will be your shepherd. I will protect you. This is what God promises. I will provide for you. I will seek you out and I will gather you in. I'll bind up the injured and and strengthen the weak. I will protect you, provide for you. I'll bandage the wounds. I'll heal the disease. I'll make the lame walk. I'll make the blind see. I'll make the deaf hear. I'll make the mute speak. I'll even raise the dead. I will be your shepherd. Now imagine that. Remember your situation? You are hopeless, helpless. You can't do anything about your situation at all. The leaders were filthy and dirty and evil and wicked and you couldn't change that. But now God promises, I will be your shepherd. I will be your shepherd. That should fill you with hope. God will come and lead you. And then what happens? Sixth century BC, years pass. What happened? You got exiled, you returned from exile And then years passed. And by the time we got to the New Testament, it seemed like nothing has changed. The leaders during the time of the New Testament were still evil and wicked. You're still under Roman occupation. And you're under the rule of these leaders, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the Jewish authorities. But they were hopeless leaders. They failed their people again and again just as corrupt as their forefathers. And so now we get to the New Testament and you cry out, where is this shepherd? Where is this promise from God? I thought God promised that he will come and be our shepherd. Where is this shepherd? And then we read on the pages of the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus declared, remember last week we looked at this, Jesus declared, I've come for the lost sheep of Israel. Jesus aligns himself with the role that God promised to do. Jesus comes and declares, I'm the good shepherd you've been waiting for. I'm the good shepherd you've been waiting centuries for. And that's exactly what we see the shepherd doing in our passage. You see, there's a purpose. It wasn't just showing his skills, his powers, his magic. It was for a purpose. He's displaying, I am the good shepherd. I'm the one God has promised And I have now arrived. And so we look at this. Look at verse 30. Great crowds came to him, bringing the lame, the blind, the crippled, the mute and many others, and laid them at his feet and he healed them. Now, when do we get that expectation? That was what God promised he would do as a shepherd. 
And the job of the shepherd, the job of the Messiah, Jesus was doing that right in their very midst. But you see, in this story, something unexpected happened with what this shepherd does. He was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. But in this story, he's still in Gentile territory. He's still in Gentile territories amongst Gentiles. And so what Jesus does now, he's actually being the shepherd to Gentiles as well. He's healing them. And what did I say? Look at verse 31. They praise the God of Israel. That's a clue that they're Gentiles being saved, Gentiles being healed. They praise the God of Israel. A Jewish person would say, hallelujah, praise the Lord. Praise the God of Israel. That's from the mouth of Gentiles. And more than that, what Jesus continues to do was what he did for Israel. You know how there's two feeding miracles? Earlier on, we looked at that Matthew 14 where Jesus fed the 5,000. That was in Jewish territory. Now in chapter 15, Jesus feeding the 4,000 and this was in Gentile territory. And so what Jesus is actually declaring, I'm the shepherd coming to protect the sheep, the lost sheep of Israel. But more than that, I'm the shepherd to be the shepherd of both Jews and Gentile. I'll have compassion on them. I'll feed them. I'll protect them just the same. You see, Jesus is here in these miracles displaying he's the long-awaited shepherd of God, but the shepherd of not just Jews alone, of Gentiles as well. And so he's come and now he's in their midst. Now, just also see what's happening here. It's very significant. The miracle here was showing now that last week we saw that, that Canaanite woman, remember she got the crumbs of the blessings of the Messiah, now we're seeing a big glimpse of what those crumbs looked like. You see, the blessings for the Gentiles was dawning. They were being fed by this same shepherd, by this same Messiah, and the Gentiles too. It's an expectation here, it's an anticipation. They will also share now in the great banquet of heaven. They get to join in. The feeding of the 5,000 for Jews, the feeding of the 4,000 for Gentiles, together they get to join in the heavenly banquet. And so he, Jesus, did what God promised to do. The good shepherd has arrived in their midst and he's the leader who will never let his people down. He's the leader who will never let his people down. But then we move on in this story and we find out that not everyone thought Jesus was a good guy. Not everyone liked him. Not everyone liked what he said, what he taught, what he did. And that's what we see next. We're up to chapter 16, verse 1. The Pharisees and the Sadducees, they came to Jesus and they tested him, asking him to show them a sign from heaven. Remember the Sadducees and the Pharisees, they they make up the Jewish ruling council. It's a bit like our parliament. You've got the two major parties, the Liberal Party, the Labour Party. Well, the Pharisees, they were the Conservatives and the Sadducees, they were the Liberals. But here they were enemies, but here they joined forces against Jesus. And their request of Jesus, it might sound like a simple request, but their request of Jesus for a sign really amounted to a leadership challenge. Show us. Prove to us that you're the shepherd. Prove to us that you have the right to lead. Prove to us you are who you say you are. Even though they've seen the feeding of the 5,000, feeding of the 4,000, the lame walking, the blind seeing, the deaf hearing, the mute speaking, even though they've seen all of that, they go to Jesus and they mount a leadership challenge to him. Prove to us. Prove to us who you are. 
And what did Jesus do? Well, he didn't give in. He challenged them right back. It's not their monkey to do what they wish when they wish. He's not there to impress them. Jesus challenged them. Look at verse 2. He says this. He says, When evening comes, you say, It will be fair weather today, for the sky is red. And in the morning today it will be stormy, for the sky is red and overcast. Now, that's actually how you can predict the weather. It works today as well. Have you heard of, there's a modern equivalent of this. Have you heard of the rhyme, red sky at night, sailors delight. Red sky at morning, sailors take warning. It, it sort of works today as well, so look out for that next time. But then Jesus is saying, you can tell the, tell the weather from what you see in the sky. And then verse 3, Jesus says, you know how to interpret the appearance of the sky but you cannot interpret the signs of the times. You walk around like you can tell what's happening with the weather, but right in front of you, the long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited shepherd doing these things, and you cannot tell, you cannot see with your own eyes. The lame are walking, the blind are seeing, the deaf are hearing, the moots are speaking. There are all the promises that God says he would do when he comes. And he has come in his son. But can't you see that? What is wrong with you? And so Jesus is, in a sense, saying, I don't need to prove myself to you with signs. Rather, what you've just proved of yourself is that you're evil and wicked for asking for a sign. And so verse 4, Jesus says, A wicked and adulterous generation looks for a miraculous sign, but none will be given it except the sign of Jonah. And so Jesus says, You want a sign. You're not going to get what you're after. But one day you will see something. One day you will see a dead man rise. One who was dead come back to life. You will witness my resurrection and that will be the only sign you will get and need. And so what happens next in this story? What does this good shepherd do next? Well, knowing that there are these bad shepherds, false teachers around, He warns his own flock. He warns them, verse 5 and 6. When they went across the lake, the disciples forgot to take bread. But Jesus said to them, Be careful. Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, Now here, Jesus is actually giving them a very important and serious warning. Be on guard. Be warned. But what were the disciples thinking? It shows their dullness of their heart and mind. They were concerned about whether Jesus thought they brought enough bread or not. I mean, they've already witnessed Jesus in that feeding of the 5,000 and the 4,000, but yet here they're concerned about whether they have enough bread. And so Jesus rebukes them, verses 8 to 11. You of little faith, why are you talking among yourselves about having no bread? Do you still not understand? Don't you remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000 and how many basketfuls you gathered? How is it that you don't understand that I was not talking to you about bread, but be on guard against the yeast of the Pharisees and Sadducees? You see, the good shepherd, Jesus the good shepherd, has arrived in their midst and he was concerned for the spiritual well-being of his flock. And he's teaching them. He's teaching them just as a small amount of yeast, a small amount of false teaching can make its way through the whole dough, 
can turn you away from this shepherd, this Messiah. Be on guard. Be warned. There are bad shepherds out there. I'm the good shepherd. There are bad shepherds. Be warned. And, and so that's, that's our narrative. It goes through quite a few stories. Now, what do you think this passage wants us to see? It's a narrative. Jesus does these miracles, wonderful things, healings, feedings, warnings. But, but what are we meant to see from this story? What's our lesson? We see, when Jesus walked the earth, when Jesus healed and fed and did what he did, the long-awaited Saviour has arrived. Remember the 6th century life society back then. Life was hopeless. No one was there to help you. The leaders have failed you. But you heard that promise of God and you wait anxiously for that. And now Jesus has arrived. He has come. He is that good shepherd who will protect the people. He's the long, great Old Testament expectation. The one true great shepherd has arrived in this world, on this earth. And what we also see in this story is that he's the shepherd of both Jew and Gentile. And you see what we're meant to see from this? What we're meant to see is that that hasn't changed. The shepherd has come into this world, into our existence, and that has not changed at all. You see, Jesus remains the one true great shepherd today for us. He's the only one who will never let us down, the only leader who will not let us down. You see, we live in a world today where, where leaders will continue to fail us. To, they'll continue to disappoint us. It's not even a matter of whether it will happen, but when it will happen. Politicians will continue to be politicians. You know, they make all massive, big promises before they get to office, but then you realise they were just lying through their teeth all along just to get to office. But the sad fact is even church leaders... Even church leaders fail their people and can't be trusted. Now, this is quite a sad thing. I did a bit of research and and, and try to see, does it happen? Is it for real? But in 2014, the founder and pastor of the Full Gospel Church in Seoul, South Korea, he was the founder and, and it's become one of the largest churches in the world. This pastor served in this church, ministered in this church for 47 years. A long time, almost a lifetime. And that church, listen to this, grew to 750,000 people. One of the biggest in the world. 750,000 people. He must be a good shepherd, a good leader. You know, that's three quarters of a million people. But what happened in 2014? Well, what was discovered was that he embezzled his church of $12 million. He was found guilty and sentenced to three years in prison. I mean, they're meant to be trusted. They're meant to be the moral standard, the moral compass for that church. They were meant to be people. He was meant to be a person of integrity and honesty. But leaders failed their people. Another example, in Singapore, the church is called City Harvest Church. This pastor, founder and leader, the church grew to 30,000 members. That's a big church. That's that's more than twice the number of people in our suburb of Surrey Hills. And what did he do? Well, you expect growing to a church that size, he would have been trusted. You would trust such a leader, such a competent leader. Well, he was found guilty of embezzling his church of $35 million. 
Man, isn't that sad? When leaders, when shepherds fail their people, those trusted, those people who should have been honest, of above reproach, of integrity, but they let down their people. And so they lead their people to disillusionment, to pain, to anger, to even falling away. Now, even in one of my previous experience, in one of my previous church, I was a younger man at this, at this time. I was serving on the deacon board of this church. And there was one year we were responsible for deciding whether we would renew the contract of one of the pastors, of that pastor. After, after that, we, we decided not to. We had some questions. But then after that, we discovered that this pastor was having an affair with one of the women in our church. We were shocked, totally shocked. This pastor had his own family with two young boys. That woman had her own family and two young kids. And then what happened in the end? Two divorces, two broken marriages, two broken families, and those two got together. I mean, they were our pastor. He was our pastor. He was meant to be trusted, meant to be a man of integrity meant to be trusted by the people. They got together, they married two broken families and what makes it even more baffling for me was that they became ordained in a different denomination and continued to serve in ministry. They're meant to be shepherds of God's people but that's the wreckage that they've left. You see, when we think about what Jesus is teaching, leaders fail us. Even church leaders fail us. The only one who will never fail us is this one true great shepherd, Jesus himself. You see, no matter how great a preacher is, no matter how faithful an elder is, no matter how wonderful a minister is, no matter how serving a pastor is, there's a lesson here. There's a lesson. They are never and must never be worthy of your ultimate trust of your ultimate allegiance. That must not be to a human pastor. That must not be to a shepherd in this world. They must never be deserving of your ultimate trust. That is reserved for someone else. You see, it's nice, isn't it, when pastors have their fan clubs, when preachers have their fan clubs. You know, I'm thinking about, perhaps you should produce a T-shirt. We love Rev John. How's that? But you see, that's not what we would, we would encourage and that's not what you should do. You see, this, I suspect, will not be the last church you'll be at in your lifetime. Who do you listen to? Which pastors should you follow? Who should you trust? Who should you believe? Well, you only follow ministers, only as far as they point you to the one true great shepherd. Don't listen to me. Don't depend on me. Trust him. You should only trust and follow and listen to any minister, as far as they point you to the one true great shepherd, don't trust me. I mean, I'll do my best. I'll love you, I'll serve you, but you must depend on the one true great shepherd. You see, the ultimate trust and allegiance must be to Jesus alone. He is the only leader ever who will never fail us. Human leaders will fail us. He's the one true great shepherd who can feed us, nourish us, protect us, provide us and heal us deep within. And how has this shepherd done that? He's given us a clue in this story. Do you notice that? He will show that and he has shown that ultimately by that sign of Jonah. 
This is how this shepherd loves and protects and cares. By that sign of Jonah. Jesus, the good shepherd here, he laid down his life for his sheep. That's the leader you follow, the one who will consider you before himself. Jesus, the good shepherd, was raised back to life to guarantee you eternal life. That's the leader you follow. That's the shepherd you depend on. You see, this is the only shepherd. Jesus is the only shepherd who will never fail you. Human leaders will. I mean, we've got the election this year, right? Will it be Liberal or Labor? How much do you trust them? Well, you hope they'll do a good job. We'll hold them accountable to their office. But don't be surprised when they fail us. Don't be surprised at all. But with this shepherd, he will never fail us, never leave us, never forsake us. I mean, this is the comfort we have as Christians, don't we? We have this true comfort, even when the world is a total mess, even when my life is a total mess. Jesus remains my shepherd. You see, when life is not going well, where do you go? Where do you go? You go to your shepherd. When you're sick and frail and lonely and sad, where do you go? You go to your shepherd. When you're downcast, lonely, anxious, worried, where do you go? You go to your shepherd. Now, many of you, I've shared this a few weeks ago, I've been in pastoral ministry for a bit over four years, entering my 50. And it's enough time to work out and to see pretty much every single individual has some struggle, has some issue, has something that is weighing them down, has something that is concerning them, has something that they really need to bring to your shepherd, to your shepherd, bring it to him. This past week we've heard of some sad news amongst members in our church, people getting cancer. What do you do? We pray, bring it to your shepherd. Bring it to your shepherd. Today, even this morning after our morning service, had a few deep conversations with, with a few people, short chats, but it was enough to see there are problems, there are struggles amongst us. What do you do? Bring it to your shepherd, the one who will never fail you. This past week I had some conversations with individuals, big struggles in life. What do you do? Bring it to your shepherd, the only leader who will never fail you. You see, leaders will fail us. Leaders will. But Jesus remains my leader, my shepherd. He will never let me down. Now, I'll end with this. If you are here tonight and you do not know this shepherd, this shepherd promised long ago who has come, who has died and who has been raised to life again. If you do not know this shepherd, then let me ask you, who are you depending on? Who are you following? Who are you trusting? The politicians? They'll fail you. Whatever leader in your work or course? They'll fail you. Maybe you'll trust in yourself. But how dependable are you really? Well, there is this shepherd, this one true great shepherd you can depend on. So come to him. Let's pray. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have looked into the problems of this world and also the issues of our hearts and the struggles we all face. We're like leaders who are reliable, but you tell us that none of us can be relied on ultimately. But we thank you for your Son, Jesus Christ, the Great Shepherd, 
who we can depend on and trust in. And so we pray, Lord, that each day of our lives, each struggle we face, each hardship we go into, that we'll turn to our shepherd who cares, who provides, who protects. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.